Amen and amen. Isn't that a blessing? You know, um, I Can Only Imagine is one of my favorite songs. And, um, you know, we don't know much about what it's going to be like when we're in heaven with our Heavenly Father. Um, but we do know from Revelation that we're going to be singing His praises, right? And so it makes the singing here just all that more joyous, right? Because it is a beautiful noise unto the Lord. Um, granted, I add to the noise part, but um, it is still beautiful to the Lord, and I have to depend on that. But besides that, um, I have always been uh, an avid reader. And the last few years, especially interesting for me, has been um, nonfiction and um, autobiographies. So um, if you were to look at my bookcase at home, you'd see um, biographies, autobiographies of uh, presidents, you know, Supreme Court justices, um, and military leaders. And I find that very interesting. One of the books that I'm reading right now is um, General James Mattis's um, new book. And if you're familiar with, or if you're not familiar with General Mattis, he is a um, retired four-star Marine Corps general and a former Secretary of Defense under President Trump. And in his book, he talks about fulfilling the commander's intent, right? And planning your operations in a way that um, fulfills some general goals or an outline that the commander has given his junior commanders to uh, fulfill or to achieve. Um, it's usually expressed in one or two pages, right? And he writes in his book, developing a culture of operating from the commander's intent demanded a higher level of unit discipline and self-discipline than issuing voluminous, detailed instructions. In drafting my intent, I learned to provide only what is necessary to achieve a clearly defined state, one that enabled, you, enabled what you intended to do next. Leave the how to your subordinates. The details you don't give in your orders are as important as the ones that you do. With all hands aligned to your goals, their cunning and initiative unleashed, you need only transparent sharing of information to orchestrate, to, to orchestrate as opposed to control or synchronize a coordinated team. So what he's saying there is he's depending upon his team that's been trained, organized, is ready to go, is willing to go, is motivated to go, to fulfill his general outline of instructions, right? And to closely align to his intent that he's communicated. So as the commanding general of the 1st Marine Division, General Mattis issued an order to his unit at the start of the invasion of Iraq. And in part, it said, when I give the word, together we will cross the line of departure, close with those forces that choose to fight and destroy them. Our fight is not with the Iraqi people, nor is it with the members of the Iraqi army who choose to surrender. While we move swiftly and aggressively against those who resist, we will treat all others with decency, demonstrating chivalry and soldierly compassion for people who have endured a lifetime under Sodom's oppression. So he made his instructions and his desires very clear. He gave them boundaries and borders to operate within. Right Within those boundaries, they were free to operate as they seemed necessary to be able to achieve the goals. <clears throat> Fulfilling the commander's intent starts with the right motivation. You must want to operate inside 
of the boundaries that you've been given or you're going to fail. The military focuses on loyalty and discipline. But as a Christian, what is your motivation? Verse 1 in our text this morning, which is Romans 12, Romans 12, 1 through 2, 1 and 2. Paul writes, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Therefore is one of those transition words. And if you were to read the couple chapters before that, um, he's been talking about, um, for several chapters, the balance between faith um, and law and how God's grace right, overcomes law and by faith we are forgiven. Right? There's a whole long uh, set of parallels that he draws coming up to this. And he says, therefore, basically because of God's forgiveness, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. So everything in, that we do in life has to have the right motivation. And with the right motivation, we can accomplish phenomenal things, things that we never um, could have dreamed possible. I read the story um, of Chrissy Moran, who um, was, uh, had a, ter- a, a tough upbringing, right? tough growing up. Um, she was sexually abused by a neighbor several times. Um, she was at 17. She had become pregnant from a boyfriend and had an abortion. Um, constantly looking for the right kind of relationship, right, that would fulfill her. Um, her parents were separated. Her father was an alcoholic, right? Everything in, in terms, in some ways, stacked against her. And as an adult, as a young adult, she went to work at Hooters as a, as a waitress, you know, which is a, obviously a highly sexualized position. And again, began, just kept moving from one relationship to another, right? Um, trying to find fulfillment in these troubled relationships with, the, with, with these men um, that she was dating. And time and again, um, she never felt good enough, right? She always felt inadequate um, in these relationships. And the guys that she was, that she was dating um, were always looking at porn. Um, which obviously didn't help her self-esteem. And after another, a series of these relationships, um, she decided that she was one day going to be the girl that they were fantasizing about. Right? That became her objective. So she started modeling um, and eventually got into uh, making pornography uh, movies. And by worldly accounts, she was very successful. Um, six-figure income. She was famous. Um, she had a huge following of fans, unfortunately. And, um, but she was still empty, right? She wasn't, still wasn't getting um, what she wanted to be um, needed and accepted for who she was. She did finally find acceptance in God, and she gave her life to Jesus Christ. Um, and now she has um, a great husband and a wonderful marriage. She has a successful ministry to... Um, sex workers, but her true motivation only became obvious after years and, I mean, what probably felt like a lifetime of hurt and disappointment. But I praise God for her life and her salvation now, and it's bold stories like that that make us really just sing praises to God, amen? It's one thing to stare despair, loneliness, heartache in the mirror, right, and to recognize it. 
and I, as, as a Christian, I struggled with that for a long time because um, I grew up in the church, right? Um, I knew about God. I, I believed. Um, I learned about Jesus from a young age. And even without my parents, went to church every Sunday uh, and, and loved it. Um, and thankfully, because of my wonderful wife, um, came to a real relationship with Jesus Christ and um, been great, obviously great ever since. But in some ways, it feels like non-dramatic, you know? It feels kind of anticlimactic. That's the word I was looking for, anticlimactic, right? Because you just kind of trudge along, you know, and there's, no, there's, no, there's nothing bold and exciting, right, or the story to tell um, like Chrissy has. Obviously, she would have avoided, I'm sure, everything leading up to that bold and exciting conversion if she had the choice. She wouldn't have chose to go that way. But what do you do when you have a good job, a good spouse, the kids are good, the house is good, the job is good, right? Everything's good. You know, when I came home after that night um, where Margaret had led me to, to a relationship with Jesus Christ, um, and I told my parents, you know, that I had been saved, and my dad looked at me and saved from what? Right? I mean, we had a good life. He went to church. Right? He knew the story of Jesus, right? And he had a good job, he provided a good home, and you know, he thought this salvation thing, being saved, was for drug addicts and homeless people. Right? But regardless of the veneer that we put over it, we all struggle with things in life, right? We all have pain. Um, we may not let them out, we may not let them be seen, unfortunately. Right? We keep this kind of mask on all the time, um, but we're all feeling it regardless. And um, unfortunately, knowing God just becomes another one of those rungs in the ladder of looking successful and doing kind of what's expected by, uh, for successful living. I call that kind of an apathy of belief. Right? You believe in God, you know what you're supposed to do, but you think everything's okay anyway, right? That salvation thing, that, that, that giving your life away to Christ and sacrifices for the other guy, right? The people really having real problems. But if that were the case, if we really did have it all together, there wouldn't be rows and rows and rows in the, in the bookstore of books written on finding motivation, right? Self-help books. That's probably the biggest section in Barnes & Noble is self-help, right? If we got it all together and we're so great, and life is so wonderful, why do we need so much help? You know, why are we constantly trying to make it look better? And it's because the, the wants and the needs underneath the good enough, right, keep prodding at us and they kind of keep poking at us even if we won't acknowledge them. And we've got to scratch beneath that surface of good enough to find our own motivation. And that motivation is something that's going to fill, right, the God-sized hole in each one of us. And that's really what it ends up being. It's not that um, we don't really need love and acceptance, as Chrissy did. We don't really need success. We don't really need money. We need God, right? And we don't recognize that until we get it, unfortunately, right? Until God and His Holy Spirit live in us. And then we begin to realize, wow, that's what I was missing, is the love, the un. un the um, uh, acceptance and love 
of an eternal God. Romans 5, 5 tells us, And hope does not disappoint us, because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. Paul spends multiple chapters leading up to chapter 12, as I've already talked about, comparing law and faith and the Gentiles and how we can be um, accepted into his arms by faith in Jesus Christ. So as Christians, what I'm getting to here is that um, we have to find our motivation and our love for God. Right? That is really what um, should be driving us, Paul says, as Christians, is that God loved us so much, right? and it fills us, his love does, and we can't help but express that and return it both to him and to one another. Going back to verse 1 of our text, he says, again, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And that's sacrifice of self, right? That's not an easy thing in today's culture. Everything we've learned, everything we've been taught, every instinct that we have is self-preservation, is self-satisfaction. And our most basic needs, like food, shelter, comfort, security, clothing, all to be set aside because we love God and put him first, right? The other things will come, but we love God first above everything else. Is that, I mean, that's just... That's radical. I know we talk about it, but think about it. I mean, really, putting, the, putting your, your love of God before everything else in your life, is that possible? Do you do that? Is that, how is that achievable, right? That's what we've got to answer um, for ourselves. And human beings can accomplish marvelous things um, with the right motivation, overcoming addiction, climbing mountains with missing limbs, going to the moon, right? Yet we struggle with accepting God's love and forgiveness and submitting ourselves to him. But when we do, wondrous things will happen, and it's just the start of a total transformation, right? Finding your motivation is the start, right? Then we begin the transformation itself. Because without the motivation, right, we can never even attempt to tackle the transformation. You know, I used to watch these reality makeover shows, um, one in particular, I think it was back in the 90s, and they would take, a couple of fashion experts would take some poor soul, right, that was um, lived their life in sweats and looked like they had just rolled out of bed every, every day. You know, the guys needed a haircut and never shaved and... Just, uh, just pathetic, right? So <laughs> do I have an opinion about that? No. Um, but they would um, they'd take them and they'd find a comfortable wardrobe for them, right? Give them a haircut, shave. The ladies, they would give them some simple makeup tips, right? Because they never wore any makeup. Just real basic, what we take for granted is real, just kind of basic life skills. And it was great. I mean, the transformations were, um, were marvelous. They look like a whole, new, uh, a whole new person. But, you know, in a lot of ways, that's the easy part. That initial change, that outward, uh, the change of the outward appearance is kind of, is, that's the easy part. What you don't get to see, right, is the day-to-day -day struggle that follows that to actually implement the change, right, to actually make that change a part of your life. And, um, and it's doing work, right, day in and day out, 
based on that initial transformation. And that's the kind of holistic transformation that Paul is talking about in our, in our uh, scriptures this morning. Um, in verse 2, he says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We often think about thoughts as, se- as separate from actions, right? And that kind of an idea comes from our um, learned uh, Greek philosophers that Western society has kind of built thought around, uh, Plato, Aristotle, and the likes. Um, they believed in a form of uh, dualism that said that um, thought and feelings were um, good and anything physical was evil, right? And the two were, uh, were or could be separate, right, as kind of complete separate entities. And that is, um, it's not unusual to find that in people's thinking today, right? I can't tell you as, um, guys, I'm going to pick on you for a minute. So, I mean, I can't tell you how, especially as a young man in the Marine Corps, how many times I've talked to guys, we've had conversations, they start talking about women, um, and, you know, even the married guys, and they'd say, well, I'm just looking, right? I'm not, it doesn't hurt anything, I'm just looking. Well... The problem with that, just looking, then becomes just thinking about, which then becomes just comparing, right? And this thought begins to germinate and to grow, and then suddenly your wife, your girlfriend, isn't meeting the expectations, right? They're falling short of these expectations that you've developed in your head because of this external um, perfect image that you've developed from literally nothing, from your imagination. Right? And who can, measure, who can measure up to imagination? So, um, <clears throat> right? so we've got to be careful to guard our thoughts. That's why Jesus, that's why Jesus tells us that um, even if you lust in your heart after a woman, you have committed adultery. Right? It doesn't, you don't have to do the physical act right? because thoughts and acts are connected. Now, ladies, I don't want you to feel left out, so now I'm going to pick on you a little bit. Okay? So um, I used to watch, um, I used to like to watch sitcoms. Um, some of them, I just, some of them were, were pretty good. But the older I get, the dumber it just, it, it just gets. I can't help it. Um, <laughs> but when I was younger, they were funnier. Um, but one of the problems that I had that began to, uh, a pattern began to emerge for me um, in these shows, and that was, um, it would pretty much be um, this smart, clever, underappreciated wife that would have to deal with her childlike, impulsive husband, right, who's always doing really stupid things, right? We've all seen the shows, right? It's a pretty repeatable pattern. And um, it is funny, and there were some really good shows built around that. But I often wonder, well, how many wives then are sitting in their living rooms with their husbands watching this and begin their own comparisons, right? Um, how many dumb things has wives of your husbands done? And don't start nodding because I'm, take, I'm, I'm watching. Okay, I'll tell them if you're nodding, okay? But that's the kind of thinking, right, that invades our minds as we begin to see things and, and internalize them and start comparing our lives to them, right? And um, our lives can never match up. 
And so that's going to be the way that you treat your husband then is based on that comparison of that childish Claude that you're always watching on TV. But that's not the way God talks about us, right? This separation of mind and body, right? That's not the way God and the Bible talk about human beings. God created us as one single homogenous unit, right? Three distinct parts, or two distinct parts, depending on how you look at it. Mind, body, or sorry, mind and spirit, body, right? You can go two or three, it doesn't, doesn't matter. But um, they all work together, right? They may be distinct parts, but it's a whole. You can't have one without the other. And so our thoughts very much are interactions. And so when Paul talks about renewing your mind and transforming yourself for God, he is literally talking about changing the way you think, which then changes the way you behave. There's no separation between the two. You can't know and not do. Right? You can't do and not know. It absolutely does not work. So, how do we affect transformation? So, I'm going to not apologize, but I'm going to sound like a typical preacher, right? Because it really comes down, this is why preachers talk about the basic Christian disciplines and how important they are in your daily life, right? And they really are in reinforcing this mind-body connection. The first one is reading Scripture. Right? God has told us everything about himself that he wants us to know. We just got to read about it. Right? That's all we've got to do. Yeah, it's not easy. Sometimes it's a little confusing. Right? But as we read, as we repeat, as we continue to absorb what God has to say to us, right? it, 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 it helps. Right? It, just, it just takes some time sometimes. Um, don't start with Isaiah or numbers okay i'm just telling you right now start with the gospels just read about jesus life it's a story it was meant to be a story it's got great lessons in it right great parables um it's actually very enjoyable to read the second thing right is prayer right if we can talk if we can sit and talk to the author of the book right we can have a better understanding of the book and I know that's a little, that can feel a little strange, especially as a new Christian. Um, I struggled with that for a long time because I'm very tactile, right? I am a see it, feel it, touch it, move it kind of person, right? I want to take action. And talking to somebody I can't see is a little weird, okay? I'm just, I'm, I'm confessing right now. It just, even now sometimes it's, it's a little weird, but as Christians, right, we accept the Holy Spirit when we confess our faith in Christ. And trust me, if you've done that, it, it just makes all the difference, right? Because the Holy Spirit is that connection between us and God, right? He's the intercessor. He, he translates our groans, as Scripture says, um, and will help us to connect um, with the Holy God, right, and be able to talk back and forth telling you it works. It really does, I'm, I swear. Um, thirdly, is this, right? Come to church regularly, okay? Be here, right? Not to fulfill just a, an obligation on Sunday, right? It's about community. 
we can't do this alone. I'm sorry. There are people who believe that you can be a, a lone wolf Christian and you just, you can't, right? Because there's, it's so easy to fall into error, to convince ourselves we're doing the right things, right? Because we want to read Scripture a certain way to justify our behavior. Um, and this kind of a community, hopefully in love, can hold us accountable, help us to learn, right? Not just this, but between you, right? Talking about the sermon, talking about the Bible study or what you read um, the week before. Getting together and just talking about God. And we learn so much from each other's experiences. And we get so encouraged, right, by people who stand here and they've got heartbreaking diagnosis and news, right, and they're thanking you for loving them. I mean, praise God. You know, what an encouragement. Um, and it just, that's the kind of thing that we get here. That's the community that we get. <clears throat> so these, um, these behaviors are, they form the, the, the foundation of transformation, right? And that without them, we can't change because we have to change our thinking. We have to change our actions. Um, and it, it's easy for transformation to grab the spotlight because um, it can be so dramatic, right, and immediate. But it's only the beginning. Lastly, we're taught, we've got to go through a period of emulation. And um, emulation is just a fancy word for imitation, um, but it went with the pattern of the other two points, so that was a better word. Um, but it's about being like somebody else, right? I'm going to pick on Glenn for just a minute. I didn't warn him, but he's... He's, he's got a pretty good self-image. So, um, you've been how long? You've been a Christian, Glenn. Can you count that high? How long? Fifty years plus, probably. Yeah, at least. Um, are you just like Jesus Christ now? No, but you're trying, right? Every day, maybe getting just a little bit. Hopefully, getting a little bit better. You know, it's yeah. It seems like an unachievable goal, right? to be like Christ, but it's something that we have to continually strive toward. That's what transformation is all about. I had, um, when I was at Nebraska Christian College, I had a professor, uh, Professor Miller. He was the professor of um, biblical languages and music. Kind of an odd combination, but he was really good. He was really, really good, and he was recognized across the student body as being very Christ-like. Nobody would ever... Um, argue that fact just kind of a really balanced well-balanced person and a friend, me and a friend of mine were walking through the hallway one day in the music department and there was nobody around and it was really weird right because it was the middle of the day and it felt like there should be other people around right classes were supposed to be going on all this so you know, he, he joked, joked with me a little bit. It's like, well, you know, maybe the rapture happened and we missed it, you know. Everybody's gone. We're it, you know. Um, we're manning the show. Well, um, at that moment, Professor Miller walked out at one of the classrooms, um, and we just kind of stopped and looked at each other and smiled. It's like, no, if he's still here, we're good, right? Because um, he's going to be at the front of the line, right? You know, that, that's just what a gentle, kind man he was. Uh, Christ-like, um, and he, uh, he modeled grace for me in a very spectacular way. 
um, because I had, as part of my degree plan, I had to take two semesters of Biblical Greek. <sighs> I got, for the two semesters, a C-minus average, um, which is the epitome of grace, okay? Um, because I did not deserve it. I'm just telling you straight out, okay? Me and languages, no. We don't get along. And I think he just, he saw the uh, papers that I turned in were just um, stained with um, drops of blood and sweat, right? And he just took pity on me. I, I just, that's all I can say. It's, it's just, it's grace, right? But um, when we work towards, working towards modeling Jesus' behavior and being Christ-like as an example, right, is a process. And um, I did love, one of the few things I did love about the 90s, um, which is like the only thing I did love about the 90s, um, was the what would Jesus do movement, right? I just, I thought that was phenomenal in its simplicity. Um, it was obviously over-commercialized, right? Because you could get WWJD printed on anything and everything, right? Um, but the idea behind it was just perfectly sound, right? And that is reminding yourself every day, what, in this situation, what would Jesus do? How would he make the decision, right? How, what kind of thing would he do? How would he act? How would he behave towards people? It's like, wow, that's tough, right? What would Jesus do in every moment? That annoying coworker that won't leave you alone, right? And you're just trying to get some work done, and they just keep, no, 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 Or the boss that just continually just putting you down, right? What would Jesus do? He'd kind, you know, he took worse, believe me. Um, but it's tough. And I'm trying, I'm striving to get better. I'm trying to emulate Jesus Christ um, every day. If you know me, you know I'm not there yet. You know, neither are you. I don't know you, but I can guarantee you you're not there. If Glenn ain't there, you're not there, okay? So, but you got to keep trying. Right? It's emulating that behavior day to day, moment to moment, and continually doing it. And the only way to know how to do that is by having the right motivation, being transformed in your thinking. Right? We talked about how to do that. And then taking that transformation and applying it every day to emulate Jesus Christ. But one of the things that struck me about this video when I watched it is these were a group um, of students and um, professors, instructors from a Nazarene Bible college, right? People who had um, dedicated their lives to Christ and to serving the church, um, to teaching and raising up new ministers and new servants of God in all different areas. Um, and their struggles are just like ours, right? Their struggles are every day are just about being kinder, about saying a kind word when it would it be easier to be curt, right, or not speak at all, which is kind of my, usually my choice, um, or to, to reach out to somebody who's, hurt, who's hurting. Um, it, you know, it's all the same struggles. They're not above those things, right? Preachers are not above those things. Elders are not above those things, right? Nobody is. We all struggle with the same thing. And you know what's wonderful? Um, so did Jesus, Right? We know from the Gospels that Jesus suffered and struggled with everything that we are. He lived just as we live, and he overcame it for, for us. 
worship team, you can go ahead and come on up as I'm finishing up. And um, there is nothing that you've experienced that is beyond God's love, okay? This process, this struggle, this work of motivation, transformation, emulation, right? God knows what we're going through, and he knows what you're going through, right? Um, And as we sing um, uh, the invitation song, I would ask you, um, and Mickey and... uh, um, my brain just stopped. <laughs> Glenn, sorry, I kept wanting to say Gene. I knew that went right. Um, Brendan must be infecting me. Um, so if you guys would come up too, and if, there, if you need prayer, right, this is not about being embarrassed, right? This is not about um, being self-conscious. We are a family, right? And if we're not here to encourage and to help each other in this struggle, we're never going to get there. None of us are, right? We're never going to get there. So... Um, I would encourage you, if you want prayer, please come up and ask for it. If you want to praise, please do. Right? That's what these men are here for. Um, and Mark, but he's, up, you know, he's up in the booth today, and he, but he's here for you too as well. We all are here for one another, and I would pray that you uh, take advantage of that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, the opportunity to share your word, and I pray that you have... Um, spoken in a mighty way through your spirit to somebody here. And Father, if, um, if anybody needs um, your love and um, your encouragement, I pray that they get it um, from each other as we struggle together through this transformation that we have um, undertaken and that we have given ourselves to. Um, give us the courage and the strength every day to um, overcome the obstacles and to shine your light in a dark world. In Jesus' name, amen.